Let's open with prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you know everything and that you sent your son Jesus who experienced weakness, temptation, and suffered for our sakes. You know what it's like when we suffer. So we thank you that we have you to come to and that you know how to offer comfort and hope and encouragement. We pray this morning that you will help us. We pray that you would help me to articulate clearly what we're going to talk about. And we pray that you would be here by your spirit, illuminating our hearts and minds and doing those things that I cannot do with the mere articulation of words. We pray that you would be present in our midst to accomplish your work and that we would end up having new life, that we would enjoy you all the more and that we would be encouraged in our hope in you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. We pray your blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're on the subject of trusting God when it hurts. And John last week asked the question and spent all the time talking about the fact that other views, other worldviews do not have answers to this question. He also pointed out that Christianity does not give an explicit answer to the question, but Christianity does give some things that pertain to the question of suffering. And so the question was, if God is all-powerful and good and sovereign, why is there suffering? And so he talked a little bit about various views. He talked about the fact that atheists don't have an answer for that. He talked about the fact that the Christian scientists deny the fact and reality of suffering. It's a mental game that they play. And he talked about how others just do not have answers for that question that are satisfactory. One of the things that I would want to ask, and he talked about the um, Simone Wesel, I think was the man's name, who had experienced a concentration camp and that that was something that deconstructed his faith in God. And John asked us to consider, what might we say to him? And I think instead of saying something to him, you might ask him this question. Why did Jesus Christ suffer? It doesn't answer the question, but it demonstrates an incredible interest on the part of our God in our suffering. The question will be answered one day, fully and totally. And in the meantime, we're in this circumstance where we struggle, and only we struggle, with this tension between God's sovereignty and power and goodness and the fact of human suffering. God doesn't struggle with that question. It's very clear in his mind. And some of our challenge is that because it's not clear in our minds, we want an answer to that question. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about lament. Lament is a category of prayer in the Bible that is something that God has given to us, to the church, to learn, to practice, and it's a, it's a language 
that can help us process this question of the tension between God's goodness and power and human suffering. So we have two objectives this morning, and I may cut the first one short so we can get to the second one, because I want to get to the second one, and that's what the handouts are for, is for the second one. The first is to define and describe the biblical practice of lament. And the second is to work through an exercise on lament. And you'll see in the handout that you have, one of them is two-sided. The second side is the same as the first page, except it's filled out with an example of how you might use the first page. So that's what we want to get to, an exercise like that, because there's homework with this class. And you get to practice these things. So we want to give you kind of a rough run through some homework so that then you can go home and talk about this with your family, you can talk about it in your home group, and you can work through how can we process this whole idea of lament and utilize it for the glory of God. Okay, confession. This is an excellent book on the subject of lament, and I borrowed an awful lot from this, so much so that I did not always mark in my notes the source, because I've, I've drawn from this a lot. He has three parts in the book. The first part of the book is talking about what we're going to mostly talk about first today is, is what is lament and what's the benefit of lament. The second part is talking about corporate lament. And then the third part is practical application. So we're going to go through several things that he brings up. First is the dedication from the book. Now read through that quickly. To my wife, Sarah, who courageously walked with me through our pilgrimage of lament, I love you. To my daughter, Sylvia, whom God used to teach me that hard is hard, hard is not bad, we miss you. Sylvia was his stillborn daughter, and God used her to teach him things about the character of God and the beauty of lament. So what is lament? Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. A prayer in pain that leads to trust. And here I did tell you what page it is in his book. Another author says, lament is the wailing of the heart before a God who hears, who listens, and who responds to our cries. Lament holds in tension both the reality of our suffering and the reality of God's goodness. Yet the reality of God's goodness eclipses the reality of our suffering. You've seen an eclipse before. Two bodies in the sky, and they're coming closer and closer and closer to each other, and one eclipses the other so that you barely see or maybe don't see the body that's behind it. That is the way lament works. There are these two realities. There's God's goodness and power and wisdom and faithfulness, and there's this fact of suffering. And as these move closer together, and that's what happens through the process of lament, the one eclipses the other and supersedes. It doesn't deny the other but it eclipses it in such a way that you see something of the glory of God 
and you taste and experience that in a way that brings some sense of satisfaction to the fact that even in the midst of this suffering, God is in control. Why should we practice lament? The very first reason is that Jesus lamented. Psalm 22 starts off, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, several scholars think that when Jesus says that on the cross, the gospel writers just record that first verse, but that Jesus continued through the whole psalm and prayed it from memory while he was on the cross. And if you were to go through the rest of that psalm, you would see that this is a cry from the heart of a person who's in pain and is communicating honestly about that to his loving Heavenly Father, saying something's wrong here. This feels awful. And yet, you are my God. I'm coming to you with this. And as you go through the psalm, you find that it's prophetic of Jesus. It even says something that the writer of the Hebrews quotes later when he says, I will declare your name to my brethren. Well, now he's saying that from the posture of resurrection. So if God hadn't forsaken him, God had actually answered his prayer and had brought about something that caused him to be able to call us brethren. Here's another reason. Scripture contains many laments for our instruction and example. And all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And so lament is one of those categories of scripture that is profitable for us. Did you know that there are somewhere around 65 psalms out of 150? That turns out to be 43% of all of the psalms that are lament. And he, he gives some examples. Psalm 3, Psalm 13, we're going to look at those two. Psalm 22, Psalm 42, you know, as the deer pants for the waters, so my, panteth my soul after thee, O God. And then he talks about deep calls unto deep at the noise of thy water spout. Sorry, I've got this in the King James. <laughs> That's where we memorized it first. But uh, I, I do that with scripture. Um, anyway, there's, there's deep things in there that talk about the anguish of a soul who's crying out to God. Some wonder that if lament is so common in the Bible, why is it so uncommon in our practice? And I have to confess that that's been less common than it needs to be in my own practice. And I think that there is treasure for me in the practice of lament. And I'm, I'm resolving to be more disciplined about that practice. Okay, types of lament in the Bible. There are two major types of lament in the Bible, corporate and individual. And then these can take on different flavors. But corporate lament would be like the book of Lamentations. There's a catastrophe that happens to a nation, and there's weeping. How lonely sits the city that once was full of people. That's the kind of tone that's in there. The, the author of Lamentations, Jeremiah, continues on, and he talks about the fact that God is the one who brought that catastrophe upon the nation. That even makes the struggle harder, right? God did this. In his sovereignty, in his wisdom, in his, in his omniscience, he did this. In his even care for us, he did this. 
Corporate laments are a group or nation vocalizing pain, grief, fear, or some other strong emotion. Personal lamentations are an individual vocalizing pain, grief, fear, or some other strong emotion. So the idea is, in either case, there's a vocalizing of pain, grief, fear, or other strong emotions. And we all relate to strong emotions. Sometimes they seem like they're taking us over. And they feel that way. And our minds go, wow, this is crazy. I don't know how to process this. Sometimes we feel guilty about the thoughts that we will have as we are processing those thoughts. Other types of lamentation in the Bible. Repentant. Think of Psalm 51. David's adultery with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah the Hittite. And he came to a place of repentance. He had to be confronted by someone to even respond and realize, I've done something wrong here. And then he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. He came to a place of deep repentance. It wasn't just against Uriah or against Bathsheba or against even the nation of Israel. It was against God the Father who he had sinned. And he began to realize this was a personal affront to the one I care most about. Imprecatory. This is an individual or group expressing outrage and a strong desire for justice. Partial. Now this is where sections of lament are within other psalms that by their nature and character aren't laments, but there might be one phrase. In fact, some people would say in Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So there's something about that pain that, that experience of emotion, of, of potential fear, I will fear no evil. So there's the resolution right in one verse to what starts off as kind of a lament and then resolves. That might be one of these that fits under the heading of a partial lamentation. Debatable. Now this is where scholars might disagree on whether it's a lament or not. And so you have this beautiful psalm, Psalm 139, you know, fearfully and wonderfully made. But the very end of it, there's something about a lamentation that's going on in that context. Almost all of that psalm is about God's care in making us, knowing us, that we can't go anywhere where he's not, that, that he was, he's always with us. There's just all of things about his wisdom and his grace and his kindness that are seen in that psalm. And yet, in the end of it, there seems something to be out of place. And so that's why people would call it debatable, that it might not be something that would fit that general category of lament. That doesn't mean there isn't some value under the heading of lament that can fit, uh, fit for us there. But just so you know, those are the, the types that uh, this author, uh, Mark Vrogop, um, presented in his book. Some more things about lament. Lament gives voice to strong emotions that believers feel because of suffering. Lament typically asks at least two questions. Where are you, God? And if you love me, why is this happening? I was thinking about even when God came to Gideon and he says something about God is with you, O mighty man of valor. How does Gideon respond? He says, if God is with me, then why are we in bondage to the Midianites? There's that lament going on. And he's asking this hard question, where are you, God? To lament does, does include sadness, and it includes hope. 
To lament also includes some type of unsurety about the future, but it also includes a resolve to hope in God. To lament includes a way to approach God with rightly ordered emotions and a resolve to trust God. Do you ever find that you're trying to communicate how you feel about something and you're, you're really groping at words? You just don't have a way to express it? A lament, and the, the laments in the Psalms in particular, can help equip us with that language to articulate it so that they are rightly ordered emotions and that they resolve in a trust toward God. Lament can go sideways. We need God's help so that it doesn't. Pain has a way of awakening us to our need for God's help. It shines spotlight on our powerlessness to control everything. Oh my, is that ever something that we need? We cannot control things. We think we can. And we've had what we think are successes at controlling our outcomes. But if we knew from God's omniscient viewpoint how helpless we really are and how hopeless we are apart from his everyday activities, things that he's not even shown us that he's doing. And I remember this song from way back when Nathan and I were in Bible college. The verse went, if only we knew of all the times he's built a hedge around us by the angels of his presence, how our heart would be encouraged. We would realize he is in control. Just amazing things that we just don't see about God's presence and activity in our lives. The same thing happened to Jacob. Do you remember when he had sent his sons down to Egypt to buy grain? And then Joseph says, I'm going to keep Simeon here as collateral that you're going to bring my, my little brother Benjamin back here to see. And so when they come back and report to their father, Jacob, what had happened, Jacob responds, Joseph is gone. Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin too. Everything is against me. You ever feel like everything is against you? I mean, the emotion of it. I'm not saying that you don't have competing thoughts in your mind, but that everything is against you, and you feel like, I don't know what to do. Think about Psalm 121. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So Jacob had this this judgment that everything was against him. But what did he not see? He did not see that Joseph was still alive, that Joseph was actually in this position of power to do amazing things to benefit his family, and that it was all in God's control. We are tempted to make those kinds of judgments like Jacob made. Because we don't see the whole picture. We're not omniscient. Lament asks hard questions. I'm going to have to pick up the pace a little bit. Sorry. Here are just some examples from Psalm 77. Will the Lord spurn forever? Will he never again be favorable? These are are strong questions, aren't they? Have you ever really deigned to ask a question of God like that? Why are you doing this? Kind of a pointing the finger, not in the sense of abject ab, um, accusation where you're pridefully disdaining and looking down on God, 
It's an honest question. But it's, it's a question that carries a, a lot of frustration and emotion, um, potentially bitterness. These are things that God wants to hear from us. And he wants us to not hide them under the carpet and pretend like they're not there. He wants those to be a part of our relationship with him. A survey of the unique petitions in these songs of sorrow shows that at least, at least nine different prayers, and here are the nine. Arise, O Lord. Grant us help. Remember your covenant. That kind of implies that you think he forgot it. Let justice be done. Well, he cares about justice way more than we do. And yet he wants us to grow in our concern for justice. And this is one of the tools that he uses. Don't remember our sins. Restore us. Don't be silent. Listen to me. Teach me. Vindicate me. Those are the kinds of prayers, the kinds of strong, bold asks that we find in the laments. Suffering refines what we trust in and how we talk about it. And that's one of the things that you will see in lament, that it refines what we trust in. What Are we trusting in our own strength most of the time? Are we trusting in our limited knowledge most of the time? He's bigger than that. Pain can become a platform for worship. Wow. Pain and worship in the same word. It's like those two bodies again, and there's an eclipse that happens. Suffering can lead us to trust. Lament is the language of this, for this transition. Songs of sorrow are meant to move us from complaint to confidence in God. Lament allows us to embrace an endurance that is not passive. Lament helps us to practice active patience. By active patience, we mean you're not just sitting there passively. You are asking God. There's something active about your patience. It's not an impatient demand, but it is something that you are active in. So there's a difference between passive patience and active patience. And that's what lament equips us to do. You'll find in lament words such as but and however in every lament, because lamenting trust is not merely a belief or conviction. It is trusting despite what circumstances might lead one to believe. Words like but, however, and yet mark the intentional shift from the cause of the lament to, in, to trusting in who God is, what he has done, and the promises of scripture. The Psalms are given to us as a divine pedagogy for our affections. God's way of reshaping our desires and perceptions so that they learn to lament in the right things and take joy in the right things. That actually comes from Augustine. Lament tunes the heart so it can sing about trust. Have you heard that phrase, tune my heart? To sing thy praise. Come thou fount of every blessing. These are not new concepts. The church has embraced them for years. You might think lament is the opposite of praise. It isn't. Instead, lament is a path to praise as we are led through our brokenness and disappointment 
The space between brokenness and God's mercy is where this song is sung. Think of lament as the transition between pain and promise. It is the path from heartbreak to hope. Mark Rogot says, I found that many people are afraid of lament. They find it too honest, too open, too risky. Can you relate to that? Do you really want to be that honest about your emotions, or do they kind of embarrass you? Uh, mea culpa, I'm guilty. You know? <laughs> and yet, Scripture encourages us to process our emotions this way. Don't feel guilty about that. Don't put on a show for yourself and others about how strong you are. Be wide open and transparent in your relationship with God. Have you ever noticed when you are more honest about your sin that your offense becomes greater to you and God's mercy is magnified? In other words, if you confess, yes, I, I lied yesterday. And then you realize, I've had a pattern of lying for the last six months on this one subject. And you acknowledge that openly and not kind of hesitantly go to that conclusion, but you realize, yes, this is what I've been doing. When you do that, it goes from a little lie to a big pattern of lies. And that's embarrassing. But when we confess that and embrace the fullness of what we did, what does God's mercy have to do? It has to be bigger in our eyes so that it's sufficient for that kind of sinful pattern. And that's what we need to do. We need to grow in our appreciation of God by understanding the depth of our sinfulness. And the, the, I mean, if one sin is sufficient to damn us forever, and the scriptures teach that, then how, how gross is that sin? Well, now, we can do the same thing with suffering, where we take suffering and we minimize it because it's embarrassing. We want to show ourselves as affluent, successful, you know, whatever. We've got our act together. And if we all of a sudden realize, no, I'm really a basket case, and we're content to recognize our helplessness before God, then how much bigger will he need to be in our eyes? He's already this big, but how much bigger will, will we appreciate him to be if we know how desperately helpless we really are? And that's what lament helps us to process. So therefore, it results in a praise to God that is much deeper and richer and, and God-honoring than we ever imagined. And so we needn't fear moving into embracing the helplessness of our lives and the greatness of our own depravity. We needn't fear that because Jesus has already taken care of everything that those issues bring to light. The Lament Psalms teach us that these feelings should not be dismissed as invalid or sinful. They are part of the journey, an aspect of genuine faith. Lament does not always lead to an immediate solution. It does not always bring a quick or timely answer. Grief is not tame, 
Lament is not a simplistic formula. Instead, lament is the song you sing, believing that one day God will answer and restore. Lament invites us to pray through our struggle with a life that is far from perfect. This reminds me of 1 Peter 1.13 where Peter says, Therefore, being self-controlled and sober-minded, set your hope fully on what? That an answer is coming tomorrow? No. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ when he comes. Our hope isn't in this is going to be resolved tomorrow or next week or next year. Our hope is that when Jesus comes, he will set all things right. So set our hope fully there. Is there reason for hope in the short term? Yes, for some things. But not for everything. Unless Jesus returns first, we will all die. We will all face that, go through that. So our hope is not in, I'm going to survive until the second coming of Christ. It's our hope is, no, the resurrection provides an answer for that. The character of God, his sovereignty, goodness, and love creates a tension when we face the painful circumstances. Lament is how we learn to live between the poles of a hard life and God's goodness. It is an opportunity to remind our hearts about God's faithfulness in the past, especially when immediate events of life are overwhelmingly negative. While we're still in pain, lament reminds us our heart reminds our hearts of what we believe is true. Lament is the language of a people who believe in God's sovereignty but live in a world with tragedy. Okay, features of a lament. And after we get through this, I'm going to kind of jump ahead because we're Closing on uh, the clock there. A lament turns to God. We address God with our complaint. What do we often do with our complaints? We stew on them inside. Or we tell other people who have no power to do anything about them. The complaint, we identify in blunt language. Really plain, not sugarcoating it. The specific pain or injustice or fear and how you feel about it. We ask boldly. Specifically, call upon God to act in, your, in a manner that fits his character and resolves your complaint. And we choose to trust. We affirm God's worthiness to be trusted and commit to praising him. So Psalm 3 is an example. It's a sh- short one, just eight verses. This is an example of a lament. O Lord, how many are my foes? Sometimes we think, wait a minute, do I have enemies? Sin is an enemy. The sin of others is an enemy. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. So there's a condemnation going on. uh, Someone who wants to say, there's no hope for you. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. So there you have that but statement. Remember, that was where it pivots from the complaint to something that gives us a basis for hope in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. That's the basis for being able to have a restful trust in God. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. So he's recounting God's faithfulness, even in the midst of his suffering this accusation from people around him. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Now, this is a context where Absalom had, had 
deceived the people and gained a following away from David so that David was being expelled from, from the kingdom. You remember that? And so there were thousands of people involved. And David's saying, no, I'm not going to be afraid, even though there are many thousands of people who are opposing me. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. Now, when you read through a psalm like this, these are the kinds of questions you might ask. To whom does the author complain? How does the psalmist describe their suffering? What does the psalmist want? On whom does the psalmist depend for help? What aspects of God's character does the psalmist exalt and rely on? And how is the psalmist's hope affected? Those are the kinds of questions as you're reading through a lament psalm that you'll want to ask. And that's going to play into our exercise that we'll do in a couple minutes. Psalm 13, whoops, another short psalm. It's only six verses, but it has similar kinds of concepts. Will you forget me forever? How long? I mean, that's one of the big questions. How long? I'm, a, I'm impatient. I want an answer now. How does it differ from grumbling? First of all, ask, what are your temptations when you're suffering? <coughs> grumbling is when our grief and anguish drives us not further into the promises and comfort of God, but rather farther from God. So lament is different from grumbling in that it will drive you into God rather than away from him. It won't justify a standoffishness and, or I'm hiding this because I'm ashamed to be this way before God. In the long dark nights of suffering, comfort and ease can quietly become idols that we look to for hope. We long for easier days. We wish we could go back. We become angry at God for all the hardships we're encountering. And this forms a hardened heart and a deep lack of satisfaction in God and his purposes alone. Isn't God's design that he would be our all in all? But we bring all kinds of things into that mix to find satisfaction. But we can find satisfaction. David says in Psalm 43, and he's our exceeding joy. He, he is. Not the things he gives, but him, himself. That's where we should be ending up. Okay, let's take our handout out and we'll flip to that second page that is all filled out. So in the left-hand column, there are the movements of lament. Turn to God, bring your complaint, ask boldly, choose to trust. And then what you do with this worksheet is you will read through a given psalm that is a lament. And that last page that I've given you has a bunch of psalms of lament listed by their various categories. So if you need to find a psalm of lament to practice with, this is where you can go to find several of them and then get out that blank sheet. Maybe, I don't know if you have a way to copy it or whatever. Or maybe you'll just use, I don't know what you'll use, but this is a way that you can start. Um, and what you'll do is you'll write down which verses in that center column pertain to the movement, movement of lament in the left column. So in this particular psalm of turning to God, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. 
And then it skips down to verse 6. So these aren't all contiguous in the psalm. You'll start off someplace, and then sometimes you'll jump ahead and then jump back and so on. So you'll see that. Don't worry about that. that doesn't, that's not a problem for God. He oriented it this way because sometimes as we're praying, there will be something else that we need to affirm along the way. And it's not like we have to follow a certain pattern and order to get to where God will get us through a psalm of lament. We, we can just utilize the tools that he's given us. And you'll see variety there. So there's not a one-size-fits-all kind of approach to this. So we have two verses then from Psalm 86 that pertain to the movements of lament. And what I would do if you were doing this, unless you are immediately able to go to writing your own version of a lament, which is what the, the third column is, if you're not ready to do that, just get all the verses lined up in that center column so that you can go through there. And then what you can use is those verses as a platform to address these other categories, these movements of lament. So in the first one there on the far right, here's an example. God, I need you to hear me. Incline your ear, O Lord. Answer me, for I am poor and needy. I need you to hear me. I'm hurting and in pain. I'm asking you to listen to my lament. I desperately need your grace today. And then the second one, bring your complaint. Identify in blunt language the specific pain or injustice. Why or how often is, why or how is often part of the complaint. So, oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. See how it's all the way down to verse 14. This is out of a 17 verse psalm. The complaint doesn't come in until verse 14. That's not a problem. Just look through to find the complaint. You'll see it. Insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life and they do not set you before them. And the, the application in, in this personal lament is you've heard every unfair word and you know how I've been misunderstood. I'm upset. I'm defensive. I want to strike back with more words. I don't feel like they care. It doesn't end. I don't know what to do. That's, that's a good set of words for a complaint. It asks those hard questions. Ask boldly. Here are examples of, and we, we saw several of those statements earlier. Preserve my life. Save your servant. Now, why can a person ask boldly of the Lord? On what basis can we do that? I'm sorry, Emma? Mm -hmm. Christ's life, death, and resurrection gave us access to God. Yep. Yep. Can you think of the verse from Hebrews that talks about boldly approaching the throne of grace? Why can we do that? Because we've been washed, we've been regenerated, we've been forgiven. And not only that, but the perfect righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us. So when we approach God the Father, we have nothing to fear, nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be anxious about. He is eager to hear us, and he wants to, us to come as we are, just freely presenting to him all of our problem. You know, I've, I'm getting older, and I can remember when my parents got older, they were afraid that they were going to be too much of a burden on me. So they wouldn't ask me to do things for them because they were afraid that they, they were going to be too much of a burden. 
And I think that sometimes we can be that way with God. We can say, here I am, I know I'm a burden to you, but, and that's not how God feels like about this at all. He is eager to take our burdens. He is delighted for us to approach him as we are, as people who are anxious, people who are overwhelmed with the emotions of our circumstance. He is eager for that. It's not a burden to him. It's a joy to him to be involved in our lives in that way. And so when we come boldly before the throne of grace, this is what it means. We are coming boldly because we have been washed. We are coming and he receives us as he receives his own son who never sinned. And he receives us with joy and with an eager ear to hear what we have to say. So we can ask boldly because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what does the My Lament column say here? Help me to know what to say or not to say. Make my heart love your purposes more than I love my reputation. Remember, he's he's being accused here by insolent men. So his reputation's on the line. That's one of the things he's concerned about. Now he's saying, wait a minute, I need to reorder my emotions on this and I need your help. So help me to, to know that, um, to make, me, make my heart love your purposes more than I love my reputation. That's one of those things where his emotions were disordered. It was all about reputation, first of all. And now it's shifting to, no, I need to love others more than my reputation. I need help. God, my heart is so divided one minute I think good thoughts, the next ugly thoughts. Now, which verse does that tie to in the column to the left? My heart is so divided. Verse 11, where it says, Teach me your way, O Lord. Unite my heart to fear your name. So he was beginning to recognize that his heart was divided over these things. It's kind of like the unstable man in James, right? Uh, who's who's um, divided. He's, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What's the prayer for a person who's double-minded? You're, you're vacillating between this or that, or this or that. Your emotions are fueling that too. It's, Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. And the last one, none of this is a surprise to you. You've heard every word. You know what I'm feeling, and you are greater than anything. I face, greater than anything I face. You can supply what I need and give me strength if others don't understand. I can trust you with what people say about me. You've helped me through many situations, so I'm going to keep my eyes on you. I'm trusting you. I'm still going to worship you. Thank you. Questions or comments? Just two minutes worth. Skipping back to this earlier section, that's okay. You mentioned that hymn, and I was going to write it down, and I didn't. Come thou fount of every blessing. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. There's another great hymn to look at too. Is you know, God works in a mysterious way; His wonders to perform. Um, one phrase in it: Blind unbelief is sure to err. Blind unbelief is sure to err. It's a great phrase. Any questions? Other, other questions? Comments? 
Are you ready to take this assignment and practice growing in the practice of lament? Imitate the Lord Jesus in how he did it. Read all the way through Psalm 22 and see how he did it with that psalm. You'll be encouraged. He was facing something we've never faced. We've not shed blood in the resisting sin of sin, and that's what he was doing there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful grace that you've given to us. I pray that you will help me and all of us to learn how to lament well. Lord, help us as we think about the example of lament to realize you've given this, that we would be thoroughly furnished for every good work. And Lord, I pray that this tool would not be ignored, that we would see it as a great value and that we would use it for your glory. Help us, shape us, order our affections aright, we pray. Amen.